Welcome, everyone, to episode 32 of Ohio Unsolved. I'm your host, Matthew, and I've got an extra scary one for you guys today. We're going west from Ohio to Gary, Indiana, to hear about the terrifying Demon House. But first, a bit of news. The first run of the Ohio Unsolved t-shirts have done much better than I expected, and I've only got a few left. So make sure to visit OhioUnsolved.com to grab one before they're gone for good. Now let's get right into the episode. Everyone sit back, make sure to lock your doors and windows, and get ready for Ohio Unsolved. November of 2011, LaToya Adams, her mother, Rosa Campbell, and her three children, then aged 7, 9, and 12, moved into a house located in Gary, Indiana. LaToya and her three children claimed to have been possessed by demons. A nine-year-old boy walking backwards up a wall in the presence of a family case manager and a hospital nurse. The Gary police captain, Charles Austin, said it was the strangest story that he'd ever heard. Captain Austin, who is a 36-year veteran of the Gary Police Department, said that he initially thought that LaToya and her family had concocted an elaborate tale as a way to make money. But after several visits to their home and interviews with witnesses, Captain Austin simply said, I am a believer. It has led to one of the most unusual cases that has ever been handled by the Department of Child Children's Services. Many of the events are detailed in nearly 800 pages of official records and recounted in more than a dozen interviews with the police. The DCS personnel, psychologists, family members, and a Catholic priest. In November 2011, the Amons family moved into the rental house on Carolina Street in Gary, a quiet street lined with small one-story homes. Soon after, big black flies suddenly swarmed their screened-in porch in December, despite the cold winter air. This is not normal, Latoya's mother remembers thinking. We would kill them and kill them and kill them, but they just kept coming back. There were other strange happenings as well. 
After midnight, Rosa and LaToya both said that they occasionally would hear the loud stomp of footsteps climbing up the basement stairs and the creak of the door opening in between the basement and the kitchen, but no one was there. Even after they would lock the door, the noise continued. Campbell said that she awoke one night and saw a shadowy figure of a man pacing her living room. She leapt out of bed to investigate and found large, wet boot prints. On March 10, 2012, Campbell said the family's unease turned into fear. 12-year-old levitates, it was about 2 a.m. Normally, Campbell, LaToya, and her children would have been asleep, but they were mourning the death of a loved one with a group of friends. LaToya, who was in Rosa's bedroom, startled everyone by screaming, Mama, Mama! Rosa said that she ran into her bedroom, where her then 12-year-old granddaughter and a friend were staying. LaToya and Rosa said that the 12-year-old was levitating above the bed, unconscious. According to their account of events, LaToya and several others surrounded the girl, praying. Rosa said that she remembers being terrified. I thought, what's going on, Rosa said, why is this happening? Eventually, Rosa, her granddaughter, said, descended onto the bed. The girl woke up with no memory of what happened. Rosa and LaToya said the people who were visiting that night refused to return. Rosa says that she remembers telling her daughter, We need help. We need to talk to someone who knows how to deal with it. Rosa and LaToya said that they didn't know exactly what it was but they believed that it was something supernatural. They called local churches, but most refused to listen. Eventually, after listening to Rosa and LaToya talk about the house and visiting, officials at one church told them the Carolina Street House had spirits in it. They recommended that the family clean the home with bleach and ammonia, then use oil to draw crosses on every door and window. At the church's suggestion, LaToya said that she poured olive oil on her three children's hands and feet, then smeared oil in the shape of crosses on their foreheads. Rosa and LaToya also told the Star that they reached out to two clairvoyants, who said that the family's home was besieged by more than 200 demons. Their explanation made sense to Campbell and Ammons. They say, because it is meshed with their Christian faith, the best thing you can do is move. LaToya remembers the clairvoyance telling her, but moving wasn't an option for the cash-strapped family. Instead, LaToya said that she took a clairvoyance advice and made an altar in the basement. LaToya covered the end table with a white sheet. She then placed a white candle and a statue of Mary, Joseph and Jesus on it. She opened a Bible to Psalm 91. She said another person donned white t-shirts and wound white scarves around their heads. LaToya said that nothing odd happened for three days. Then things got worse. The family said that demons had possessed LaToya and her children. The kids' eyes would bulge with evil smiles across their faces and their voices deepened 
every time this happened. Rosa said that the demons didn't affect her because she was born with protection from evil. She said that she and others like her have a guardian who protect them. Latoya told authorities that she would feel weak, lightheaded, and warm whenever she was possessed. Her body shook, and she said that she felt out of control. You can tell it's different, something supernatural. The youngest boy, then seven, would sit in a closet talking to a boy that no one else could see. The other boy was describing what it felt like to be killed. Rosa said that the seven-year-old once flew out of the bathroom as if he had been thrown, and a headboard once smacked into Latoya's daughter, causing a wound that needed stitches. The 12-year-old would later tell mental health professionals that she sometimes felt as if she were being choked and held down so she couldn't speak or move. She said that she heard a voice say that she would never see her family again and wouldn't live another 20 minutes. Some nights were so bad that the family slept at a hotel. Finally, in desperation, they went to their family physician on April 19, 2012. Latoya said that she told him what they were going through, hoping that he might understand. 20 years and I've never heard anything like that in my life, he said. I was scared myself when I walked into the room. He said that he would not speak in any more detail unless LaToya had psychiatric clearance for the waiver of confidentiality that she had signed. In his medical notes about her visit, he wrote, Delusions of Ghost in Home and Hallucinations. He also wrote, History of Ghost at Home and Delusional. What LaToya and Rosa say happened next was also detailed in a DCS report of a family case manager's interviews with medical staff. He walked up the wall, flipped over her, and stood there. Rosa said that Latoya's son cursed her in demonic voices, raging at him. Medical staff said that the youngest boy was lifted and thrown into the wall with nobody touching him, according to a DCS report. The boys abruptly passed out and wouldn't come to, Rosa said. She cradled one boy in her arms, and Latoya held the other. Someone from the doctor's office called 911, and her doctor said seven or eight police officers and multiple ambulances showed up. Quote, everybody was, they couldn't figure out exactly what was happening, he recalled. Police and emergency personnel took the boys to Methodist Hospital's campus in Gary. Latoya said the hospital personnel laughed at her desire to anoint her sons in olive oil. I couldn't talk to them, she said, so I talked to God. The boys woke up in the hospital. The older boy acted rationally, but the youngest screamed and thrashed, Rosa said. She said that it took five men to hold him down. Meanwhile, someone called DCS and asked the agency to investigate LaToya for possible child abuse or neglect. The caller, who is not named in the DCS report, speculated that LaToya might have a mental illness. The person believed that the children were performing for LaToya, and she was encouraging their behavior. 
DCS Family Case Manager, Valerie Washington, was asked to handle the initial investigation. She gave the following account to police and in her intake officer's report. Hospital personnel examined LaToya and her children and found them to be healthy and free of marks or bruises. A hospital psychiatrist evaluated LaToya and determined that she was of sound mind. Valerie Washington interviewed the family in the hospital. While she spoke with LaToya, the seven-year-old boy started growling with his teeth showing. His eyes rolled back in his head, and the boy locked his hands around his older brother's throat and refused to let go until adults pried his hands open. Later that evening, Valerie and a registered nurse, Willie Lee Walker, brought the two boys into a small exam room for an interview. Rosa joined them. The seven-year-old stared into his brother's eyes and began to growl again. It's time to die, the boy said in a deep, unnatural voice. I will kill you. While the youngest boy spoke, the older brother started headbutting Rosa in the stomach. Rosa grabbed her grandson's hands and started praying. What happened next would rattle the witnesses, and to some, it would offer not only evidence, but proof of paranormal activity. According to Washington's original DCS report, an account corroborated by Walker, the nurse, the nine-year-old had a weird grin and walked backwards up a wall to the ceiling. He then flipped over Rosa, landing on his feet. He never let go of his grandmother's hand. He walked up the wall, flipped over her, and stood there, Walker told the star. There's no way that he could have done that. Later, police asked Washington whether the boy had run up the wall as though performing an acrobatic trick. No, she told them. She said that the boy glided backward on the floor, wall, and ceiling, according to the police report. Washington did not respond for a request for comment, but she told the police that she was scared when it happened and ran out of the room. As for Walker, Washington said, he ran out of the room with me. We didn't know what was going on. It was crazy. I was like, everybody, we have to go. According to the DCS report, they told a doctor what had happened. The doctor who did not believe them, asked the boy to walk up the wall again. The nurse said that he told the doctor that he doubted the boy could repeat the feat. This kid was not himself when he did that. The boy said that he couldn't remember what had happened and he couldn't do it. The nurse, who had said that he previously believed in demons and spirits, thought that the boy's behavior had, quote, some demonic spirit to it but also was a result of a mental illness. A police report quoted Washington saying that she believed there could be an evil influence affecting the family. Separated, LaToya said that she spent the night at the hospital with her seven-year-old son, while Rosa took LaToya's daughter and older son to a relative's home in Gary. The next day was LaToya's youngest son's eighth birthday. LaToya said that the DCS officials asked Rosa to bring the other children back to the hospital, 
presumably to talk more about what had happened. The family celebrated the boy's birthday by singing and eating a miniature cake. Then, LaToya said that Washington told them the children wouldn't be going home. DCS took the emergency step of taking custody of the children without a court order. All of the children were experiencing spiritual and emotional distress, Washington wrote in a DCS form. LaToya told reporters that she and her children cried because they did not want to be separated. We'd already been through so much and fought so hard for our lives, she recalled. It was obvious that we were a team and we were beating it, whatever we were fighting. We made it through together as a team and they separated us. It must be scared of me. The Reverend Michael, I'm sorry, I can't pronounce this last name. I'm just gonna call him Reverend Michael, was leading Bible study in his living room the morning of April 20th, 2012, when he received a call from a hospital chaplain. Reverend Michael had been the priest at St. Stephen Parish in Maryville for more than 10 years, but had never received a request like this one. The chaplain asked him to perform an exorcism on LaToya's nine-year-old son. Reverend Michael agreed to the interview the family after Sunday Mass a few days later. The first step, Reverend Michael said, was ruling out natural causes for what LaToya and her family said that they were experiencing. He visited the family and Rosa in the Carolina Street home April 22, 2012. For two hours, LaToya and Rosa detailed the phenomenon for him. Then Rosa interrupted the interview to point out a flickering bathroom light. The flickering stopped each time Reverend Michael walked over to investigate, which he attributed to a demonic presence. It must be scared of me, he later told the reporters. The interview was interrupted again when Rosa pointed out Venetian blinds in the kitchen swinging even though there was no air current. The reverend said that he also saw wet footprints throughout the living room. Latoya complained about having a headache. The reverend said that she convulsed when he placed a crucifix against her head. After a four-hour interview, Reverend Michael said that he was convinced that the family was being tormented by demons. He said that he also believed there were ghosts in the house. He blessed the house before he left, praying, reading from the Bible, and sprinkling holy water in each room. He told LaToya and Rosa to leave because it was not safe. They temporarily moved in with a relative, but less than a week later, the two women were back on the Carolina Street to let Washington, the DCS family case manager, check the condition of the home. Valerie asked the Lake County police officer to come with her. Two other officers, one each from Gary and Hammond Police Departments, asked to join them out of professional curiosity. LaToya refused to go inside, but Rosa agreed to accompany the group while the kids were still in DCS custody. The main floor had three bedrooms, a living room, one bathroom, hardwood floors, and a small open-style kitchen. 
A door in the kitchen led to a basement with concrete floors. Directly under the stairs was a dirt floor. The concrete around it was jagged as though it had been broken. The makeshift altar Latoya had created was still in place, along with rings of salt that she had poured against the basement walls to dissuade the demons, according to a police report. Rosa told officers that demons seemed to emanate from beneath the stairs. Austin, the Gary police captain, was one of those officers. He later told reporters that he believed in ghosts and the supernatural, but said that he did not believe in demons. Austin said that he changed his mind after visiting the home. During the interview with Rosa, one of the officer's audio recorders malfunctioned. According to police records, the power light flashed to indicate that the batteries were dying, even though the officer had placed fresh batteries in the recorder earlier that day. Another officer recorded audio, and when he played it back, he heard an unknown voice whisper, Hey, according to a Lake County Police Records. That officer also took photos of the house. In one photo of the basement stairs, there was a cloudy white image in the upper right-hand corner. When an officer enlarged the photo, that cloud appeared to resemble a face. Lake County Police Records stated, The enlargement also revealed a second green image that police say looked like a female. Austin said photos that he had snapped with his iPhone also seemed to have strange silhouettes in them. The radio in his police-issued Ford malfunctioned on the way home. Later, he said that the garage at his Gary home refused to open, even though the power was on everywhere else. He also stated that the driver's seat in his personal 2005 Infiniti also started moving backward and forward on its own. He said that he had the car checked at a dealership, and the mechanic told him the motor on the driver's seat was broken, which the mechanic said could have caused a distraction leading him to an accident. Austin said that he found himself starting to believe Latoya's claims of paranormal activity. DCS outlines the, a case plan in 2012. DCS positioned Lake Juvenile Court for temporary wardship of the three children. The request was granted. The DCS found that Latoya neglected her children's education by not having them in school regularly. The agency made the same finding in 2009. Latoya told Washington that there were times that she could not send the kids to school because the spirits would make them sick or they would be up all night without sleep. DCS temporarily placed her daughter and older son at St. Joseph Carlemite Home in East Chicago. Latoya's youngest son was sent to Christian Haven in Wheatfield for a psychiatric evaluation. Clinical psychologist Stacy Wright, who evaluated Latoya's youngest son, said that the boy tended to act possessed when he was challenged, redirected, or asked questions he did not want to answer. In her evaluation, Wright wrote that he seemed coherent and logical except when he talked about demons. 
It was then that the eight-year-old stories became bizarre, fragmented, and illogical. His stories changed each time he told them. He also changed the subject, quizzing her on math problems and asking her about outer space. Can you die if you go to space? He would ask. How do you get to space? Do you have to wear a helmet and suit? Wright believed that the eight-year-old did not suffer from a true psychotic disorder. This appears to be an unfortunate and sad case of a child who has been inducted into a delusional system perpetuated by his mother and potentially reinforced by other relatives, she wrote in her psychological evaluation. Clinical psychologist Joel Schwartz, who evaluated Latoya's daughter and older son, came to a similar conclusion. There also appears to be a need to assess the extent to which Latoya's daughter may have been unduly influenced by her mother's concerns that the family was exposed to paranormal experiences, he wrote. Latoya's daughter told Schwartz that she saw shadowy figures in the Carolina Street home. She also said that she twice went into trances. Latoya's older son told him that doors would slam and stuff started moving around. Latoya was also examined several times by psychologists, who said that she was guarded but did not seem to be experiencing symptoms of psychosis or thought disorder. One psychologist recommended Latoya be assessed to determine whether her religiosity may be making masking underlying delusional ideations or perceptual disturbances. Latoya and all three kids continued to insist that they were possessed by demons. The DCS set goals for the family. One of them stipulated that the children not discuss demons and being possessed, and take responsibility for their actions. They also needed to participate in therapy to address past behavior. While DCS officials credited Latoya for sharing a close bond with her children, the agency also said that she needed to use alternate forms of discipline not directly related to religion and demon possession, according to the case plan. Appropriate discipline included encouragement, rules, and withholding privileges. She could work on those goals during supervised visits with the children. Latoya also had to find a job and appropriate housing due to the paranormal activity at the house on Carolina Street. While Latoya worked on meeting those objectives, Police and DCS officials continued to investigate strange happenings inside the house, but the mental health professionals evaluating LaToya and her children remained skeptical. On the afternoon of May 10, 2012, Rosa, LaToya, Austin, and the two other police officers from the initial visit went back to the Carolina Street home the police officers visited after work hours. They were joined by Reverend Michael, two Lake County officers with a police dog, and DCS family case manager, Samantha Eilick. Eilick, who was there in official capacity, said that she had volunteered to go in Washington's place because Washington did not want to go back to the house. A county officer took his police dog around the home, 
but the dog didn't show interest in any particular area, according to the Lake County Police records. Everyone else headed into the basement. Eilek touched some strange liquid that she saw dripping in the basement and said that it felt slippery yet sticky between her fingers. Reverend Michael told police that he wanted to check the dirt under the stairs for a pentagram or personal objects that might have been cursed. He said that a pentagram might indicate a demonic presence and possible portal to hell, according to a Lake County police report. Or if someone had died in the house and was buried under the stairs, it could explain paranormal activity. One of the police officers dug a four foot by three foot hole beneath the stairs, unearthing a pink press on fingernail, a white pair of panties, a political shirt pin, a lid for a small cooking pan, socks with the bottoms cut off below the ankles, candy wrappers, and a heavy metal object that looked like a weight for a drapery cord. Finding nothing else, the officer replaced the dirt and raked it over. Reverend Michael blessed some salt, which he said is a barrier to evil, and spread it under the stairs and throughout the basement. Eilek said that she was later standing in the living room with the rest of the group when her left pinky finger started to tingle and whiten. She complained that it felt broken. Less than 10 minutes later, Eilek said that she felt as if she was having a panic attack. She couldn't breathe, so she walked outside to wait for the group. When the priest started questioning LaToya inside the house, she complained of a headache and shoulder pain according to police records. She joined Eilek outside. Austin said that he left the house at nightfall. Austin, who has been shot at and has investigated murders, rapes, and armed robberies during his more than three decades on the force, said that he was not staying in the house past dark. The other officers continued to walk through the home. On the main floor, they noticed an oil-like substance dripping from Venetian blinds in a bedroom, but couldn't figure out where it was coming from. To make sure Rosa's or Latoya hadn't poured oils on the blinds, two of the officers used paper towels to clean it off. The officers sealed the room for 25 minutes and stood nearby so that no one could walk in. When they went back in, the oil had reappeared. Reverend Michael told police the liquid was a manifestation of a paranormal or demonic presence. He wrote a report detailing his findings and asked Bishop Dale Melsek's permission to perform an exorcism on LaToya. Reverend Michael said that the bishop had never authorized an exorcism in 21 years as bishop of the diocese in Gary. Debbie Bosak, director of communications for the diocese, said that she cannot comment on whether the bishop has ever approved an exorcism for confidentiality reasons. In general, she said that such an action would require a bishop's approval. The bishop initially denied Reverend Michael's request to do a church-sanctioned exorcism. The bishop told the reverend to contact other priests who have performed them. Reverend said that he needed other priests to give him the ritual for a minor exorcism, 
which does not require church approval. The priest he consulted told him to look it up on the internet. He said that he did a quote, intense blessing on the home to expel bad spirits. That same day, Reverend Michael performed a minor exorcism on LaToya. The ritual consisted of prayers, statements, and appeals to cast out demons. Two police officers and Eilek, the DCS family case manager, attended the ritual. Eilek said that she left believing that something was going on, although she wouldn't go as far as saying it was demonic. She said that she got chills during the nearly two-hour rite. We felt like someone was in the room with you. Someone breathing down your neck, Alex said. She had a string of medical problems after visiting the home. A week after she visited the house for the last time, Alex said that she got third-degree burns from a motorcycle. Within 30 days, she also broke three ribs jet skiing, broke a hand when she hit a table, then broke an ankle running in flip-flops. I had friends who wouldn't talk to me because they believed that something had attached itself to me, she said. Her joking response, I'm already evil. They try to find something that's not evil and corrupt it. They wouldn't waste their time on me. I cast you out, unclean spirit. After the minor ritual, Reverend Michael told Latoya to look up the names of demons that were tormenting her. Each demon has a name and personality, he said. A name has power, the priest added, and he planned to use those names to fight the demons during the exorcisms. Latoya said that she had a friend look up the demons' names online by searching for demons that represented the problems the family had been having. The computer kept shutting down. She said that she felt sick and lightheaded, but she said that they found the names that fit. One such name was Beelzebub. Lord of the Flies, LaToya said. She said that they also found names of demons that torture and hurt kids, which she felt explained what happened in her home. LaToya also said that other high-ranking demons were also assigned to her, including lieutenants and sergeants. After the minor rite, Reverend Michael said that the bishop gave him permission to exorcise LaToya. The ritual is the same as the minor exorcism, but it's more powerful because it has the backing of the Catholic Church. Reverend Michael ultimately performed three major exorcisms on LaToya, two in English and the last one in Latin in June of 2012 at his Maryville church. During each, he said, he praised God and condemned the devil. He pressed a crucifix against LaToya's head as he spoke. I cast you out, unclean spirit, along with every satanic power of the enemy, every specter from hell, and all your fell companions, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Reverend Michael said that his voice continued to get louder and more forceful until the demon weakened. He said that he could tell how strong the demon was by how much Latoya convulsed. Two police officers who had kept in touch with Reverend Michael since the home investigation stood nearby in case LaToya needed to be restrained. LaToya said that she prayed with the reverend until it became too painful. She said that she felt as if something inside her was trying to hold on and inflict pain at the same time. She said that it was giving, it was difficult from a natural pain, 
but it felt as intense as giving birth. I was hurting all over from the inside out, she remembered. I'm trying to do my best and be strong. Eventually, Reverend Michael said that Latoya fell asleep. She said that she was the demon's way of lessening the ritual's effect. In between the second and third exorcisms, the Reverend said that he went on a retreat. A woman who assisted the Reverend with some of the exorcisms helped set up a backup plan in case Latoya had problems while the Reverend was gone. The woman wrote a long demon name. The Reverend said that he can't remember which one it was, on a piece of paper and tucked it into an envelope. Then she surrounded it with blessed salt. If Latoya had problems, the woman would burn the envelope. By this time, Latoya and her mother had moved to Indianapolis, but they drove back for the exorcisms and court hearings as her children were still in DCS care. Reverend Michael said that he'd blessed the family's new home to prevent more problems, but LaToya, Latoya called while the Reverend was on his retreat, complaining of bad dreams, so the woman burned the envelope. She saved the ashes to burn later in a church bonfire. After that, LaToya said, her nightmares ended. I hadn't been that happy in God knows how long. In the final exorcism at the end of June 2012, the Reverend said that he prayed and berated the demons in Latin rather than English. Police officers did not attend, so the Reverend said his brother stood guard. Reverend Michael said LaToya convulsed while being condemned by the demons, but did not convulse during prayer. When she fell asleep, he said words of thanksgiving. It would be the last time LaToya saw Reverend Michael. She and her mother drove back to Indianapolis, where they say they now live without fear. LaToya's old home on Carolina Street became an, became an object of local curiosity. So much so that the owner and landlord, Charles Reed, called the Gary Police Department to ask officers to stop driving by the house because it was scaring his new tenant. He said that there was no problems in the home before or after LaToya and her family lived there. I thought I heard it all, said Reed, who had been a landlord for 33 years. This was a new one to me. My belief system has a hard time jumping over that bridge. When told of the Catholic Church's involvement in the situation, however, Reed said that made him less skeptical. LaToya regained custody of her three children in November 2012, about six months after they had been removed. DCS continued to check in on the children and make sure that they were going to school until the case was closed last February. LaToya called her children's return the happiest day of her life. She said that they screamed and jumped up and down when she picked them up from DCS office in Gary. It was just awesome, LaToya said. I hadn't been that happy in God knows how long. The children said that they felt safe after they left the house on Carolina Street. The three left their demonic voices and complaints behind them. No demonic presence or spirits in the home. The DCS family case manager, Christina Olgenek, wrote in team meeting notes dated January 10th, 2013 that she did not return calls from the star seeking comment. The family is no longer fixated solely on religion to explain or cope with the children's behavior issues. Olgenek and her supervisor wrote in a request 
for dismissal of wardship, dated January 24, 2013. For her part, LaToya said that it was not the psychologist who resolved her problems, but God. When you hear something like this, don't assume it's not real, because I've lived it, I know it's real. She regained custody of her children six months later, and the family moved into a new home with no reports of demons. The case was closed in February of 2013. Shortly after all of this, Zach Baggins from the TV show Ghost Adventures purchased the home. He then conducted his own investigation in the home, which can be seen in a documentary called Demon House. After his vet investigation, Zach decided to bulldoze the house to the ground, which can also be seen in his documentary. I've seen the documentary, Demon House, and I definitely recommend it to anyone that likes that kind of show or documentary. They have interviews with the family that lived there and the police that investigated the whole thing. Definitely nightmare fuel. Which reminds me that I think I'm going to watch it again tonight. Well, that's going to do it for today's episode. I'm sorry there's only one story, but I figured this one story is long enough. I hope that everyone enjoyed the story, and if you did, please rate and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. A five-star rating really helps others to find this podcast. Make sure to join us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram. If you do enjoy the show, please consider joining the Ohio Unsolved Patreon, where you'll get instant access to monthly bonus episodes starting at the $5 tier and up. Once again, thank you all for listening. And make sure to keep your doors and windows locked and stay ready for Ohio Unsolved. <laughs>